Hello, Matthew here. I'm the philosopher loose in church. Yesterday was the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, and uh, in the cycle of readings for this year, the gospel lesson uh, included one of my favorite parables, the parable of the talents, uh, which is found in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. The author of Matthew uses this parable to portray the end times, um, which is a discussion begun by the disciples' question in the previous chapter, uh, where the disciples ask, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? On the other hand, if we look at this narrative purely from the perspective of Jesus teaching about the kingdom, we can ask a little bit different question, which is, what is Jesus telling us about the nature of the kingdom of the heavens, as Matthew calls it? First of all, it may be surprising to learn that the parable of the talents is not actually about talents in the usual English sense uh, of gift or skill. Oddly, en- uh, oddly enough, the English word talent actually comes from this parable, but the original word in Greek, talenton, didn't have that meaning at all. In most translations, the word talent, in fact, is just an Englishized version of the Greek word, talenton, uh, which was a unit of measurement for weight. Um, and it probably weighed around 75 pounds uh, in its usage in the New Testament times. Most likely then, what the master gave the slaves was actually a particular weight of silver or gold. Now think about this, five talenton of gold would be something like 375 pounds of silver or gold. So if you Google the price of silver and do a little math, uh, the the master basically dropped at least $77,000 on the first slave. And depending on whom you ask, scholars think that one talenton is probably about nine years' pay for an ordinary laborer. So nine years' pay uh, is a very sizable amount of money. And that is important in the, terrible, in the parable. So think about this. The, ma- the master hands his slave the equivalent of nine years' wages, on the way out the door to a foreign country. Now, if you were that slave, what would you do with that kind of money? Knowing, knowing that you were going to account for your decisions when your master returns. If you lose that money, it will be practically impossible for you to repay your master. Nine years labor. But anxiety about uh, that contingency is not what the first or the second slave exhibits. On the contrary, they go out immediately and risk the money in uh, doing business. The Greek word there is basically conducting business or trading. To those in Jesus' audience, those first two slaves' behavior is just breathtakingly irresponsible. It wasn't their money. They risk their livelihoods, if not their very lives, in using their master's wealth that way. No, in, in the ears of the audience, it's the third slave, surely, who's the responsible one. He didn't take a risk. He kept the master's money safe. He returned it when the master came home. So think about that the next time somebody interprets this parable to mean uh, that Jesus is giving lessons in business and finance, right? Uh, with a bit of a spiritual message thrown in. It wasn't the slave's money. Uh, They had no particular right over that money other than the fact that the master just handed them some bags of silver or gold on the way out the door. 
But interestingly enough, that's not how the master approaches the slave's choices. The master's approach is the perspective of the kingdom. Who's rewarded and how? Yes, it's those outrageously irresponsible slaves, those who risked everything against the wisdom of this kingdom in pursuit of that other hidden kingdom who are rewarded. Read the master's response to each of those two very carefully. Share in your master's joy. What does he mean? And what about the responsible, prudent slave? He lived out his fear and anxiety, and the result was, in fact, the wisdom of this world. Play it safe. Take care of yourself. Don't risk. Everything's fine. Except when he returns, the master rejects this prudence, and he even throws the slave out into the darkness outside, as it says in Greek. But not before he has someone, maybe one of the guards, somebody in his court, take the talanton of his wealth from the prudent slave and give it to the one with ten talanton. Uh, Here we find out what sharing your master's joy is all about. The master rewards recklessness by giving the reckless his wealth with the return they made on it like giving it to them, handing it over. What does this tell us about the upside-down values in the kingdom so tantalizingly near at hand? What's kingdom-wise is foolish in the eyes of the master, and what's foolish by our standards, imprudent generosity, reckless compassion, outrageous self-giving, that is what the master rewards. And the reward is taking part in the master's very unkingdom-like joy. When you see someone in need, when you see injustice, when you see your neighbor demeaned, devalued, when you see exploitation, abuse, injury, falsehood, that is the very moment when the master is handing you his wealth. The question is, What will you be willing to risk for the kingdom? Now let's circle back to talents. The talanton inspired people to move from a literal meaning of wealth to a metaphorical gift or a skill or an ability. It's a short step from sharing this gift to the idea of excellencifying. Don't hold back. Don't play it safe. Take the risk, live your virtue.